Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles and open to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We are continuing our sermon series this morning. We've entitled, I Am. So walk through seven specific passages in the book of John. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus uses the phrase, I am. And each time he connects, as we've seen last week, and we're going to see again this morning and really throughout this series, he connects with a first century Jewish person. He connects and helps him understand exactly who he is. He helps him understand exactly what the prophecies about him have said through the years. And I love it because it kind of paints this picture for us. And I enjoy Old Testament study. I enjoy learning and understanding more about the Jewish people and their history. And I love the prophecies of Jesus. And it always reminds me, the more I see it and the more I study it, that there is, in fact, a meta-narrative. There is a bigger picture. There is a story from the beginning of time. Right? It wasn't as if these things just happened randomly. It wasn't as if they're unrelated. Uh, it wasn't like this just happened and Jesus uh, never thought anything about it. There's a, a very clear plan in this text. There's a very clear plan in these I am statements. And so seven different times Jesus uses these statements to describe himself. And I'm going to show them to you again each week. We're going to look at all seven just as a reminder, we have them on the screen. Last week, John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you want to go back and listen to that sermon, it's available on YouTube. You can listen to it on our podcast as well at our website, rosemontchurch.org. John chapter 8, verse 12 is this morning, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door. John chapter 11, verse 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine. And so my prayer is that through this study, you'll grow in your understanding, you'll grow in your knowledge of Christ, you'll grow in, in kind of the connection you make with him and understanding more and more about who he is. So I want to jump right in this morning. There's a lot we can say about this passage of Scripture. I'm going to jump right in this morning, John chapter 8. Let me give you just a little bit of context before we get to verse 12. The first 11 verses of John 8 are interesting. They're the story of the woman caught in adultery. And they bring this woman to Jesus, and the Bible says he basically kneels down in the ground and, and writes some things in the dirt. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what. And then when he uh, continues to write in the dirt one by one, these people that have accused her walk away, and he finally says to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, that's a whole nother probably sermon, maybe even a sermon series in that one verse. But there, there's an interesting idea there in verse 11 of chapter 8, the idea of forgiveness, the idea of taking people kind of where they are, the idea of Christ loving this woman, even in the midst of sin, and calling her to go and to repent. 
and to live and to sin no more. I think that's just a, a great way for us to think about how we deal with other people and how we deal, in fact, with the people in our lives and sometimes even ourselves. But it's right after that, in that context, John chapter 8, verse 12. And this is going to just be the one verse we look at this morning. We're going to hone in on this one verse and really think through it uh, deeply together. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's the first truth I want you to see this morning. Number one, Jesus is the light for all time. Jesus is the light for all time. When I say for all time, I mean throughout history. Jesus was the light in the past. Jesus is the light in the present Jesus will be the light in the future for all eternity. Now remember, John is writing to a first century Jewish, Jew, Jewish audience, and it's very difficult, I think, for us sometimes to put ourselves in their place. And so I want to give you, again, just a little bit of an understanding. I want to make this connection for you because a lot of what Jesus is doing and a lot of what John is trying to do is to connect these first century people to the Old Testament. He's trying to connect them to the prophecies of old. He's trying to connect them to the picture of what the Lord did through these people, especially in the book of Exodus. And if you know anything about Jewish history, you know that the Exodus was kind of a central point for them. It was a central theme for them. They spent a lot of time, and they still do, thinking about and studying. And a lot of their festivals, in fact, come from the time when they came from the Exodus. Now, the context of John 8 is important. Because Jesus has talked to this woman caught in adultery. But at the beginning of chapter 7, we're kind of setting the tone for this. We're told a little bit more about when this happens. John chapter 7 verse 1 says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, here it is in verse 2. The Jews' feast of booths was at hand. That's the same thing as the feast of tabernacles. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background. It's neat because I, I, I preached about this in our earlier service. And a lady came down uh, to talk to me after the service. She's been to Jerusalem, and she enjoys Jewish history. And she said, did you know the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is what we're talking about here in chapter 8, happened at the early part of October, and it did. It's a fall ceremony. It happens early in October. But she said because of the quarantines and because of the lockdowns and because of COVID-19, the Jewish people who typically celebrate this weren't able to celebrate it the way that they normally do. But the Feast of Tabernacles was basically a seven-day festival for these people. And it happened once a year. It was an opportunity for them to celebrate what the Lord had done during the Exodus. Remember, God had taken the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of captivity, taken them into the wilderness. They wandered for 40 years. God provided for their needs. And the Feast of Tabernacles was an opportunity for them to celebrate all that the Lord had done. Now, if you know anything about the Exodus, you may understand this, but let me kind of clue you in or give you a little bit of history. As the people wandered through the wilderness 40 years, God didn't give them a road map. You probably know that. If you're younger, they didn't have a GPS app, right? They didn't have Waze. They didn't have Google Maps, obviously. The Lord guided them with a pillar, the Bible says, a pillar of smoke or like a cloud during the days and a pillar of fire oftentimes at night. 
And so they would understand where to walk and where to go. The guidance of the Lord would walk them through this with this fire, with this cloud. And so one of the things they celebrated during the Feast of Tabernacles was how the Lord had led them, how the Lord had guided them during this process. Now, one of the interesting things about the Feast of Tabernacles is that they would celebrate with these large lamps, right? They were thinking about the Lord guiding them. They were thinking about the pillar of fire. They were thinking about the light that the Lord had shown them. So they created these large, some scholars say 70 to 75 foot tall pillars of lamps of light. And they would light them at a certain time during this festival. And when they would light them, it would illuminate the entire temple, the temple complex. Oftentimes it would illuminate the entire city. And sometimes for miles and miles around, people could see this light. And so when this light was lit up and it celebrated what the Lord had done, the people would remember, they would make this connection with what the Lord had done in the history of the people of Israel, right? So the festival was not only about celebrating the Exodus and celebrating what God had done, it was also a very vivid reminder to them, and this is where the connection begins to take place, of the light, right, that the Lord provided for them as they walked through the wilderness, Now, John has made some interesting connections in these last several chapters. In fact, John is kind of connecting again in the way he's written and he's told these stories. Jesus has done the same in these accounts. He's connected these people with several different parts of the Exodus. You remember last week we did John chapter 6. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, right? We talked about the manna that God sent from heaven to the people wandering in the wilderness. John chapter 7, Jesus says, I'm going to read in verse 37, if anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You may remember during the Exodus, there was a time when the Lord took the people to a rock, had them strike the rock, the water came out of the rock, it flowed out of the rock, and gave them water to drink. So we've seen bread, Jesus is the bread and the manna, John chapter 6. We've seen Jesus is the living water, John chapter 7, which is the same as the truth in the Exodus with the water coming from the stone. John chapter 8, the pillar of fire, Jesus says, I am the light. So there's the connection here that these people are making with the Old Testament. Now, you're you're probably familiar with passages of Scripture that speak about the Lord as light or speak about his word as guiding us. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path, right? So example after example, verse after verse after verse of the Old Testament points to this idea of light. Now just, again, set the scene. We're in the Feast of Tabernacles. The lamps have been illuminated. We're celebrating what the Lord did in the Exodus. We're celebrating the pillar of fire, how the Lord had led these people through the wilderness. The Jewish people were completely in tune with his history. They were completely in tune with what the Lord said. Can you imagine the impact when Jesus said to them, I am the light? You see that? It wasn't some random event that just happened. It wasn't some unrelated story. The Lord understood exactly what was taking place. Jesus understood exactly what that feast meant. Jesus understood exactly what those people were thinking. And he made that connection very clear to them when he said, I am the light of the world. But here's the beautiful part about this picture. It wasn't just the light for the people of the Old Testament, right? It wasn't just the light for us today. Jesus has been the light for all time throughout history. You know, the lamps of the tabernacle eventually went out. The light of Jesus never will. 
One writer said it like this, speaking of Jesus. He said, I'm the light that never is extinguished. As the pillar of light in the day and the night led Israel to the promised land, I am the light that will lead you to the kingdom. I will lead you to God, to heaven, to everlasting light. God's light has always shone from the beginning of creation until today. Jesus is the light for all time. Now, second, I want you to look at that verse again. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's the second truth I want you to see this morning. Jesus is not only the light for all time. Number two, Jesus is the light for all people. Look what that verse says in John chapter 12, verse 8. Pull verse 12 up. I want you to see it if you would, please. Jesus says, I am the light of what? LaGrange only? I am the light of Georgia only? No. I'm the light of what? The world. That, that means it doesn't matter where you're from. You understand that? It doesn't matter what language you speak. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. Praise the Lord for that. Doesn't matter what background you have. Doesn't matter any of those things. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, right? This isn't a small promise. This isn't to a small group of select people. This is to the entire world. Now, if you've ever studied through the book of John, and I talked a little bit about this last week, there's a lot of comparisons that John makes. John compares life and death oftentimes, and he contrasts those things. One of the things that John contrasts is light and darkness. And I want to think for just a few minutes about this idea of light. And I want to think really about two forms of light. There's physical light and there's spiritual light. Now, we're very familiar with physical light, aren't we? We use it all the time. In fact, we use light so much, we're accustomed to it, we take it for granted, right? Like, I bet nobody tonight around six or seven is going to start walking around their house going, what in the world are we going to do when the sun goes down? How are we going to see anything? We don't do that, right? We don't get in our car at night and crank it up and think, how in the world am I going to see to drive home? I mean, there's, no, there's no sun out, right? We're, we're accustomed to, we're used to light. We use it all the time, right? We have it everywhere. But in the first century, again, let's try to put ourselves in the place of the first century believer. Light was not readily available. In fact, if you wanted to light in the first century, it was a candle or, or a fire or, or maybe some sort of a torch. But what we see scripturally is that physical light really from the beginning was important, right? If you remember your history and Genesis and when God created the heavens and the earth, right? The very first act of creation, Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be what? Light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning the first day. Right? Physical light makes life possible to exist. Right? Without light, we wouldn't survive. Right? Without the sun, we wouldn't survive. Right? And you kind of think through the progression. Without the sun, all the plants die. Then all the plant-eating animals die. And then you just kind of keep on going. It gets worse and worse and worse. Right? We could not survive without physical life. Everything on this earth depends on physical light. And it's amazing how light, and especially color, affects how we view the world. Right? Isn't it interesting how different colors put us in different moods. 
Isn't it interesting how when color changes, sometimes our, our thoughts and our perceptions change? I look good in pink, don't I? Right? Pretty in pink. Isn't it interesting how red creates kind of a different sense in our minds? Isn't it interesting how, how green feels so much different when we see things illuminated in green? Isn't it interesting that when light is a little bluer, it seems a little harsher and a little more cold? And then when we add just a little bit of yellow, it warms it up a little bit and it feels so much more comfortable and normal. Isn't that amazing? Pretty interesting how light affects the way we view things, isn't it? Right? That's, that's physical light. We, we get that and, and we understand that. I would say to you, as significant and as important as light is, physical light to our lives and the way that we live and the way that we think, spiritual light is as important to our spiritual lives, right? Physical light, physical life. Spiritual light, spiritual life. And so we see all sorts of examples in Scripture that help us see and understand this. For example, John 1, beginning in verse 4, talking about Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, right? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You may remember some of the, the prophecies about Jesus, right? If you've ever spent time in the Old Testament, especially the book of Isaiah, and I love the book of Isaiah, so many prophecies about Jesus. One of those prophecies in Isaiah chapter 9 looks ahead to Jesus, and I want you to listen to how he's described here. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, remember, written hundreds and hundreds, probably 700 years before the birth of Christ. Here's how he's described. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of darkness, on them has light shone. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Right? Looking ahead to Jesus hundreds of years before his birth, already we get in this prophecy that when Jesus comes, he's going to be seen as light, and the people that are walking in darkness will see a great light. Oftentimes John in his gospel kind of compares this idea of light and darkness to evil and sin. And he talks about people that walk in the darkness as people that are sinning. People that are walking in the light are people that are following Christ. And just like a, a torch dispels physical darkness, the light of Jesus dispels spiritual darkness. And light is oftentimes related to, to salvation in Scripture. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah 58, 8, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Acts chapter 26, the Lord's speaking to Paul. He's told him to rise and to go and speak to the Gentiles. And he says, to whom I am sending you, watch. Here's the call to Paul in Acts 26, verse, verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Right, on and on and on, we see these examples of light and darkness, of good and evil, of how Jesus is the light of the world. And here's the beautiful thing, right? The second truth we need to get, and I'm going to apply it to your life right now. Jesus is the light, not just for you, but for the entire world. Now, just imagine with me just for a second. Imagine if by some miraculous event this afternoon or tomorrow morning, 
you were given, in, in some strange way, the cure for all cancers. Just, just fathom with you just for a second. We, we all know people who have gone through this, who are struggling through it now, who have passed away because of it. I can just tell you, if by some miraculous event I was given the cure to all cancers, I would, as quickly as possible, make it known to everybody. Like I'd be calling all the, I'd call the Mayo Clinic and every hospital I could think of, every doctor I know, every news organization, I'd be putting it out on the internet. I would want everybody to know the cure for cancer. Why? Because it would affect so many people. It would be such an incredible thing for our world. I wouldn't just hide it, right? Well, now set, set aside that fantasy for a second and let's think about the reality that we have been given the light of life through Christ. We have the light of life. Right, you remember the little song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Remember that little song? Hide it under a bushel. Man, just like the other service, y'all got it. Amazing. That's really good. You're right. We don't, we don't take the truth of Jesus and hide it under a bushel, do we? Right, we've been given this truth. And so the question becomes, listen, we, we've been given the light of the world. What are we going to do with it? How are we using it to impact other people's lives? How are we using it to impact the lives of the people that we know, of the people that we love, of the people we care for? What are we doing to make a difference in the light of so many other people, right? We've been given the light of the world. It's not just for us. It's for all people, for all times, for all the world. Now, let's kind of wind this down. Look at verse 12 again. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Now, watch. There's some interesting information here at the end of this verse. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Right? Jesus is the light for all time. Jesus is the light for all people. Jesus is the light now for all circumstances. Jesus is the light that guides us in the darkness and the confusion of the world. And I want you to notice what he says there in verse 12. Let's, let's just pull verse 12 up again, if you would, right? Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever does whatever he wants to do will not walk in darkness. Is that what it says? No. It says instead, whoever what? Follows me. Now, we've talked about this before, right? You've seen this in other passages of Scripture, the idea of denying self, taking up our cross, following Jesus. And for a lot of people, this is kind of a casual thing. Like, I worry that there are a lot of Christians in the world that see this as kind of a casual deal. Right? We're, we're, we're very good about putting Jesus in a little box, aren't we? And we kind of live our lives, and we, we kind of do our thing. And as long as Jesus is good and we got some time for him, we're going to insert that little box into a certain part of our lives. And then when we don't have time, we're going to remove the box and set it back on the shelf until next time. We kind of live a life where we just kind of feel like we can put him in when we want to, take him back out when we don't need him. We're real casual in our faith. Sunday mornings are important to us because it's just tradition. We've always done it. But beyond that, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us. And I worry there's a lot of casual people walking around trying to follow Jesus. And yet Jesus gives us this picture in Scripture that there's nothing really casual about following him. In fact, William Barclay, who's a, a famous theologian, using the word follow, he said it's like this. He said it's like a soldier following a captain. 
That's important right there, right? Those, are, those of you that have been in military or understand military and orders and, and following our leader, it's not just as casual, I do if I want to. It's this idea of radically following Jesus at all costs, like leaving behind the world. And so Jesus makes this beautiful promise to us. Listen, I'm the light of the world. If you'll follow me, right, radically follow, not a casual whenever I feel like it, but if you'll truly and really give your life to me and follow me, you're not going to walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. It's this beautiful promise. It's this beautiful promise that if we'll follow Jesus, he'll lead us where we should go. John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There's a, there's a real interesting thing about light. Light always defeats darkness, right? You can be in a pitch black room, no light. You take a single match and strike it and that light defeats the darkness all around it. It's kind of like that with Christ, right? The, the light that he's given us, the salvation that he's given us, the hope that he's given us will defeat the darkness of the world if we're willing to take that light into the darkness. If we're willing to understand that that light shines throughout circumstances, good, bad, or ugly. Right? Jesus kind of illustrates this point in John chapter 9. You don't have to flip there, but again, it's very interesting to me how John kind of progresses through the bread, the manna. Jesus is the bread of life in John 6. The water in John chapter 7. He's the light now in John chapter 8. And then in John chapter 9, Jesus tells this story. There's this account of a man who was born blind. I'm going to read it to you. John chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. As he, this is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of the Lord might be displayed in him. By the way, there's a whole, there's a, probably a whole sermon series on this idea. These disciples see this man born blind, and they say, listen, what's wrong? Who sinned to make him blind? And Jesus said, listen, it, it wasn't anything about this man. It wasn't about this man's parents. This man was born this way so that the glory of the Lord could be displayed through him, Right? It puts a different spin, a different perspective sometimes on the sufferings of life. Like we see the sufferings of life oftentimes from a very personal, uh, kind of put ourselves on an island type of a standpoint. And I get that. I understand that. We need to understand scripturally, sometimes we go through suffering so the Lord can demonstrate his glory in our lives. You understand that? Sometimes we struggle just so we can see the power of Christ at work in our lives. And so Jesus said, listen, this guy's not blind because he sinned. He's not blind because his parents sinned. He's blind so that the glory of the Lord can be displayed in his life. So verse 4, this same account. We must work the works of him who sent me. This is Jesus talking. While it is day, there's the light idea. For night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There's that same idea. Verse 6. Now watch this. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. I've always, I've always loved this account because Jesus takes these two things that we try to avoid. Spit from someone else's mouth and dirt. And he mixes them together and he rubs on this guy's face. Isn't that amazing? Like, couldn't he have just snapped his fingers? 
Couldn't he just waved his hand? I think there's a beautiful picture just kind of built into that story about how Jesus sometimes takes the worst things and uses them for his glory. So the Bible says he spits on the ground, he takes this mud, he rubs it on this guy's eyes, and the Bible says, having seen these things, he spit on the ground, made the mud with saliva, he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him, watch, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He went and washed and came back seeing. Incredible. God takes this man who cannot see, right, physically, takes this mud and this dirt, rubs it on his eyes, and gives him the gift of life, gives him the gift of light, right? The the light of Christ, and this is what you need to hear. The light of Christ is available in all circumstances, right? Sickness, pain, hopelessness, and some of you, I know in a congregation this size and people that are watching at home, again, we're glad you're with us. People that are in our overflow room, glad you're with us. I know between all these people listening right now, the sound of my voice, I know there are people out there that are hurting. And I know there are people that are walking through some sort of a darkness. And here's the interesting thing about walking through difficulties and, and struggles and darkness. Sometimes we let other people know and sometimes we don't, Right? Sometimes our struggles are very private, and maybe you're the only person that knows about them. Maybe it's something to do with, with a family situation, or maybe it's a problem at work with a coworker, with a boss. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe, maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's a spiritual struggle you're going through right now. Maybe you're walking through the darkness of sinfulness, and you've never prayed to receive Christ. I want you to understand Jesus says to you, I can lead you out of the darkness. I am the light. Right, Jesus said, I, I, can, I can lead you out of sin. I can lead you out of sorrow. I can lead you out of pain. I can lead you out of addictness. I, I can, addiction. I can lead you out of sadness. I can lead you out of any of the struggles that you're going through, any of the pain you're going through. Jesus says, listen, just follow me. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 19, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. Watch this. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Jesus says, listen, just as as the pillar of fire led the people of Israel through the wilderness, Jesus says, I will lead you through the darkness of your life. Whatever darkness that is, whatever pain you're experiencing, whatever path you're walking, whatever baggage you have brought, there is life and there is light through Christ. Trust him today. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the beautiful picture of salvation through Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is light and he is life and he is hope. We thank you, Father, you've given us this beautiful gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that now, as we've heard this truth, that it would just sink into our hearts, Father. It would, it would affect us. It would change us. It would challenge us. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that's walking through that darkness, may they see that light, Father. May, may they experience that light. May, may, may they experience that hope, maybe for the first time. Father, if there's a believer here that's walking through great darkness, whether it's sickness or, or addiction or struggle of some forth, Father, help them just sense your presence and, and your love and your power. 
And Father, may, may the spiritual light of Christ just wash over them right now, Lord. May they just kind of bask in that glow, bask in that hope and that holiness of Christ. Speak to us very powerfully now. We'll praise your name for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.